Elena is nine years old, and the parents just knew she'd be a tremendous swimmer. She's got the right torso, the right hands, the right feet. She's got long legs, long arms. Elena's nine years old, and the very first season of the swim meets, the parents couldn't understand it because Elena would come in dead last. Every time she swam, Elena got dead last. She's got the body. She likes water. She's athletic. Nobody could understand why Elena would always come in last at the swim meets. The season's almost over. There were like five or six meets to go, and the mother decided on the way to the next swim meet to take a chance. And so she said to her as they were driving, she said, honey, maybe the swim meets are not something that you really enjoy. Maybe next season you don't want to do this, and it's okay. And, and Elena interrupted and said, why? Why, Mommy? She said, well, you know, you know during the swim meets, you, you just don't seem like you're all that interested. Oh, I love it, Mom. I, I absolutely love it. Well, well, does it ever bother you, honey, that the other children get the ribbons and the medals and the trophies and, and you don't get them? And she said, well, no, I love meeting all these people. And the mom said, yeah, but in the races, you don't do real well. And Elena, at that moment, she said, it's a race? (laughs) She said, I thought we were here to meet people. It's a swim meet. At that moment, the lanes made sense. The cheering crowds made sense. At that moment, the ribbons and the trophies and the, the, the medals began to make sense. At that moment, Elena got the reason why they were in a race, not just there to meet everybody. That day, Elena won her race. She's now 11 years old, and she has won, she's gotten first or she's gotten second in every swim meet she's ever participated in. Now, here's the point. There is a point to that story, okay? Here's the point. When we see as God sees, we are more inclined to do as God says. And sometimes if we just understood what it is God's trying to teach us or God's trying to tell us, we just might get it. When we see as God sees, we are a whole lot more inclined to do as God says. This morning, I want to try to teach the most difficult parable in the entire New Testament. It is so challenging and so difficult that it took me the first 20 years of my ministry to even understand it. In fact, I would listen to Charles Swindoll teach on this parable, and I would not get it. I would listen to Charles Stanley teach on this parable, and I would not get it. It's only been in the last probably 15 years, as Andy Stanley and Louis Giglio and Bill Hybels have taught on this, that I think I'm starting to understand this. So I want to give you a pass this morning. If you don't get this parable this morning, your salvation's not in jeopardy. You're still going to heaven. This is a challenging parable, but I think it's a game changer. I think once I finally understood and grasped this parable this morning, it goes from the temporal to the eternal. And so this is a parable that I think is worth us today trying to understand because if we can get it, it will change your destiny forever. 
So Jesus is telling parable and story after story, tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And in Luke chapter 16, it's the most difficult parable of all. And I'm going to try to walk us through this because I think as we start 2017, this is a game changer. So here we go. Luke chapter 16, here's verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked the manager, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Verse 3 says this, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. It's coming to an end. I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm way too ashamed to beg. Push pause for just a second. Remember last week? Last week we got a lame man who's carried to the gate called Beautiful, and the lame man, nothing was wrong with the guy except his ankles and his feet. His mind worked, his brain worked, his hands worked, his eyes worked, his ears worked. In fact, if the guy was six feet four, we talked about this last week, if the guy was six four, there's about four inches, his ankles and his feet, that didn't work. If he was six four, 72 inches worked. Here's a guy that couldn't be any more opposite of our guy from last week. Let's look at verse four. He says this. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, now this is the point, don't miss this, people will welcome me into their houses. And I remember the first couple times I read this, I'm going, what? What's he talking about getting favor? What? What, what, This doesn't really help Jesus. What does this mean? I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Verse 5. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Well, I owe him 900 gallons of olive oil, he said. Now, 900 gallons of olive oil is worth about 32K. It's worth about $32,000. So the manager told him, well, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it half. Make it 450. So instead of owing the guy $32,000, The guy said, I only owe you $16,000? Wow, Martha, go get the checkbook, quick, write him a check. And so, and he's he's thinking to himself, well, you know what? I got the guy. The guy's going to help me someday. And so the guy who's going to pay the half the bill price is saying, you know what? If you ever need a favor from me, and the guy's going, oh, I will. If you ever need something from me, just call me. And he's going, I'm going to, I'm going to call you. And we're going, Jesus, what does this do? You got the whole, like, Beatitudes just ratcheted up from the, the law. Jesus, I, I was thoroughly confused with this parable 20 years ago. Look at the next verse. So he asked the second guy, how much do you owe me? thousand bushels of wheat. thousand bushels of wheat is about $6,500. About $6,500 is about a thousand bushels of wheat. And he told this guy, he said, take your bill. Instead of, instead of writing me a check for $6,500, just, just, just make it 5000 Make it 5000 and we're even. Really? 5000 Hey, if you ever need something from me, 
Oh, I, I, I'll probably call you. Yeah, I'll probably call you. If you ever need a favor from me, just, uh, it'll be sooner than you know. And the parable's like, what? This is Jesus. This isn't like Uncle Bill, right? This is Jesus telling this story. Well, look at the next verse. The master commended the dishonest manager. I'm thoroughly confused 25 years ago with this. Thoroughly confused. Huh? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. All of us, when we first read that parable, go, I, I don't get this, Jesus. Why would you, I mean, are we, are we supposed to take business principles from this? No. Are we supposed to, like, forgive this guy? Is that the lesson? No. Are we supposed to hire people like this? No. That's not, that's not the point. It has nothing to do with the point. The master commended the dishonest manager. I bet all of us in this room, the first time we read this, or maybe the 15th, like me, I'm a little slow, we're going, I don't get this parable. If you can get this, it'll move you into eternity forever in a different way. Look at the next part of verse 8. Jesus said, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, that doesn't really help me. Does that help you? I'm going, huh? Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus is saying, the people of this world, he's saying, really, sometimes as believers, you're not real smart. Ouch. Sometimes church folks, you kind of live and act like you don't really get the fact that you're not living here forever. You're going to live someplace else forever. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd, just like the dishonest manager. He was able to somehow have relationships that would benefit him for the rest of his life. And Jesus is trying to tell us something. He has a point that he hasn't quite made yet. It's at this point where Jesus kind of pulls out of the parable, and he's about to lower the boom and give us the point of the story. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of this life. Look at verse 9. Here's the point. He says, I tell you. Here's his whole point. I tell you. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal dwellings. Jesus, what in the world are you saying? Here's what he's saying. Look at this next sentence I'm going to put on the screen. Jesus is saying, I want you to use what you have in such a way that when you die and you step into eternity, there will be people there who will welcome you because of what you did with what you had. We're going to read that out loud together. Here we go. Ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. I want you to use what you have in such a way that when you die and you step into eternity, there will be people there who will welcome you because of what you did with what you had. And so what does God do? God sees your wealth as a tool. That's the whole point of this parable. The the point of this parable is you're not to trust a guy like this. The point of the parable is you're not to hire a guy like this. The point of the parable is not that you forgive a person like this. The whole point of the parable is this. God sees your money as a tool. Now, what's so interesting about this is, is we always ask, what will I have to show for it? 
We work, we have our life, we come to the end of our life, and we say, what will I have to show for it? You know what Jesus asks? Who? Who will you have to show for it? Now, I just want to have a great big time out right now in the middle of this sermon because you've heard sermons like this, and at the end of the sermon, there's a pitch. There's a, there's a I gotcha. There's a, you got to step up. There's a, you're not doing enough as a church. Nothing could be further from the truth. We've already taken up the offering. There is no second offering. There's no catch today. I'm not trying to get you. In fact, from the bottom of my heart, I want you to know that this is an incredibly generous congregation. I want you to know that what we were able to do in 2015 and 2016 and what we're going to do in 2017 is just nothing short of miraculous because of your generosity. So there is no, I got you today. There is no, we're launching a new capital camp. There is nothing like that today. I want you to know that we're able to reach, you know, last Sunday, we had 480 children back in the children's area, 480 children on a normal, well, nothing's normal around here anymore, but a normal Sunday morning. We have all these teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. We were able to do about three or four international pastors' conferences this last year. Jars, Wycliffe, uh, all these different things that you're, we're able to reach and help and do incredible. So there is no I gotcha today, okay? There is no I gotcha. I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, you are incredibly generous and you're allowing all of us together to reach people and to make such a at-risk teenagers. What we're doing, the sheriff's ranch, we have booked all the, the mentors even at the local youth sheriff ranch. We're giving free music lessons. You have allowed us to do incredible things that I could never dream or imagine. So again, from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. There is no I gotcha. Okay, take a deep breath. Now I want to ask you two questions, though. I'm going to get you, okay? It's not over yet. That was, I, that was the easy part. Now I want to ask you two, two questions. Question number one. So in light of what Jesus is saying, that our money is a tool, what do you have and how can you use it? Jesus said the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind. In other words, the people of this world try to make money and leverage money and provide for their families and provide for their friends. The people of this world, what what are we doing for the kingdom? So what can you do? What do you have and how can you use it? Uh, I want to tell a negative story first, and it wasn't here. It was my church back in Memphis probably about 30 years ago. And this lady was a, was a uh, volunteer with the student ministry, and um, she had about a one-year-old Mercedes, just, just gorgeous Mercedes, beautiful Mercedes. And the students need to be transported from the church to a youth event. And she told me very clearly, no uncertain terms, there was no way she was going to use her Mercedes to transport five or six teenagers to the next youth, to this youth event. And you know, at this age now, you lose your filters as you get older. You know that, don't you? And at this age now, I think I, we out of, out of body slammed it right there, you know, on the, the church lobby, okay? But I, I just, I was so stunned that she had that kind of an attitude about a car. 
Jesus doesn't ask, what will you have to show for it? He will ask, who will you have to show for it? And you contrast that to so many of you in this church who are so kind and so generous. I'm just going to use one family to keep it tight. But there's, there's a family in this church. They're the most generous people I've ever met. They open up their home all the time. They've had at least three high school graduation parties in their backyard. They use their house. They let our students steal their firewood. There's a, they live on the water, and there's a little island, and, and all the students go out there and camp, and he has transported students back and forth, and when they don't bring enough firewood, guess what they do? They take firewood from his pile, okay? And, and they don't care. The wife will figure out that they don't have enough food for a youth event, and she goes in the kitchen or grocery store and starts making it. What, what do you have? What do you have? It's not just materials. What skills do you have? What, what time do you have? What, what talent do you have? What, what do you have, and how can you use it? And this is where we're, we're all universal. If you're a high school student and you make, you know, like, $1,000 a year, or you have a much better income than that. What do you have? Here's the second question, though. second question is equally as important. What do you have that can't be used? Now, I'm not against what you collect. I'm not against the stuff that you have. Uh, in fact, I, I think you need to be able to enjoy life. Timothy says he's given us all things for our enjoyment. I think you should enjoy life. And so I thought about a couple of different things that people have collected over the years that just seem really silly. And I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to mention them because you're going to think I'm anti that. And I'm not. I'm not anti anything. I think God's given you all things for your enjoyment. But the question would be is if you have something that really cannot be used, is it really something that you want to do? And so, so Jesus is trying to say something here. He's trying to say, if you're faithful with worldly wealth, you will be rewarded with it in all of eternity. Jesus is trying to communicate that what we do with what we have really does matter forever. And he says, use wealth to influence people. I want to give you just some really small examples. Now, there's big examples of that, and, and you've all probably done some big examples. You've done something, 50000 or 100000 for a, a church building program or, or half a million. I don't want to use the big ones. I want to use some real small ones. I told you about this couple. He was a World War II veteran. And I told you for two years, I tried to just make the couple smile at this Starbucks over here at Enterprise. And they just wouldn't even look up and wouldn't even smile. And one day we're in line together, and I bought he and his wife a cup of coffee, $4, two years ago, $4. I'm their long-lost son. Every time they come into Starbucks, they sit down, Kurt, come over here. They want to talk with me. $4, $4 opened the door to talk to them. I haven't gotten him to come to church, and he's a little anti-church, and he kind of makes fun of me and my job, and I say, okay, you know, I know where I'm going, and I just, we tease back and forth, you know, and, and he's good with that. Uh, a month ago, I had a breakthrough with this retired um, Jewish dentist at another coffee shop, and I just got back from Tel Aviv back in September, and I saw the man, and for like four years, I've seen the guy, he doesn't talk to anybody doesn't talk to a soul. 
And so there we are, and I, I was telling him about, I loved your country, I love being in Tel Aviv. He asked me a couple questions. A month ago, I walk into this coffee shop, and I say to him, hey, Jerry, I'm getting ready to get myself an unsweet green tea. Can I get you a drink? Well, he's Jewish. He said, of course you can. And so he said, <laughs> he said, of course you can. I'm not making fun of it, Jewish people. I love Jewish people. I love it. I love the guy. And he said to me, he said, I want this berry drink. It was a $5 drink, you know, at this coffee shop. I thought, well, okay. The last month, the last 30 days, he sees me come and sit down. I got a question for you, uh, uh, priest. He calls me the priest. He doesn't know what to call me. That's okay. <laughs> calls me the priest. And, and he said to me about three weeks ago, he said, I don't believe anything you believe. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He said, I, I, he's a liberal. He said, you're probably a conservative. I said, I am. He said, I, I'm for abortion. He said, I bet you're not. I said, I'm not. So about, about a week ago, Jerry said, you know what? I've been thinking about something. You asked me, where would I spend eternity? And I, 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 didn't really, I hadn't really thought about that. He said, you got me thinking about that. Five dollars. Five dollars is all it took. At Christmas time, <clears throat> I'm so, I was on my boat yesterday for probably three or four hours just cruising the water. It's a beautiful day. And uh, so about, a, about a, at Christmas time, there's some great deckhands at Marker One Marina. And so I just gave them a $5 a piece. I, I bought $50 worth, bought 10 of them. So for 50 bucks, I gave $5 to 10 people uh, who helped take care of us there. And they're just wonderful young adults. And um, yesterday, even one of the young adults, he said, hey, um, I'm, I'm getting married, and I hear you guys are building a wedding chapel. I said, yeah. He said, I also heard that you do some kind of, like, premarital thing, you know. I don't think we're really ready for this. And he said, he said would, would we qualify for that? And he said, now, I don't think we're going to get married at the chapel. I think we're going to have a destination wedding. And I go, I've never thought through this before. Now what do I do? You know, because they're not getting married here. But they're I said, sure, we'll do the counseling. Absolutely. I haven't figured that out yet. $50. Do, do you see my point? $50 may win two or three of these deckhands from Marker One Marina to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, the people of this world, they know how to use money. I think Jesus is saying, will my people understand how to leverage money? Will my people understand how money opens doors? It's not what you have to show for it. It's who you're going to have to show for it. All right, let's look at the next slide. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Look at verse 11. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who in the world's going to trust you with true riches in eternity is what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 12. If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So here's what God sees. God doesn't just see your money as a tool. God sees your money as a test. Every time you get paid, it's a test. I don't know if you get paid twice a month, paid once a month, paid once a year, paid once a week. It doesn't matter. Every time you get paid, friends, every time you get paid, God sees your money. He sees it, what? 
as a test. All right, look at the next verse, verse 13. Well, let me fill this in first. How we manage what we assume is ours reflects our devotion to the one to whom it actually belongs. All right? Here's verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. See, Jesus knows that the chief competitor for your heart is the security of money. He knows that money is probably the number one competitor for your heart. You, you cannot serve both God and money. And here's the point. What you do with what you have really signifies whose you are. Look at verse 14 and verse 15. They say this. The Pharisees who love money heard all this, and they were sneering at Jesus. Verse 15 says, He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. All right, folks, are you still with me? All right. We're going to wrap this up with an illustration that I hope you never forget. Because everybody in the room, what you do with your money, it's a tool to test. Everybody in the room... You have a little bit of this called time. You have a little bit of this called money. These are $100 bills. They're fake. (laughs) Don't rush the stage. So (laughs) verify that. They're, They're fake, all right? They're fake, all right? Don't do this. Say yes, all right? I'll get mugged up here. All right. Here's the point. You got a little bit of time, and you have a little bit of this. What are you going to do with it? See, it's coming to an end. Someday, Psalm 90 tells us, Moses tells us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I don't know how much of this you got left. You don't know how much of this you got left. Some of you have more of this. Some of you have less of this. But there's coming a day when this comes to an end too. Some of you have more of this. Some of you have less of this. That's not even his point, is it? Jesus is saying, if you can be trusted with this, I will reward you in heaven beyond your greatest dream, your greatest imagination. That's not working your way into heaven. This is just what God's saying about rewards in heaven. And so, isn't this what we want? We want our family to be in heaven with us? Bill Hybels has a slogan. Bill Hybels has a great statement. When he's witnessing to somebody like my dentist friend Jerry, and Jerry's going to ask me this question, why do you keep talking to me? Why do you keep talking to me? You know what I'm going to tell Jerry? Bill Hybels gave me the answer. Jerry, I don't want to be in heaven without you. I don't want to be in eternity without you. And I really believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that Jesus gave his life. And Jerry says, why do you believe that? I said, Jerry, the disciples were cowards and they became courageous. The disciples went to their death, all of them proclaiming that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Let's be shrewd. Let's be smart. Let's figure out how to use Gosh, just a little bit of this and a little bit of this forever to make a difference in people's lives.
I think that's the point of this parable. It's taken me 35 years to understand it. If you didn't get it this morning, it's not the end of the world. But I think you got it. Didn't you get it today? Was it clear? Did you get it? So you have a little bit of this and you have a little bit of that to make a difference in the lives of people for the kingdom of God. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. Maybe you need some prayer about this. Maybe you need prayer about how you use your time. Maybe you don't really number your days. Maybe, maybe you're not a good time manager. You haven't used time wisely. Maybe you've not been a real good steward with your resources. Maybe you haven't seen money as a tool. Maybe you haven't seen money as a, as a test. I'm going to ask you for today to, to maybe pray with some of our prayer partners. Why don't you stand with me? We'll pray together. If you've never given your life to Christ, that's the place to start. That's the place to start today. We love you, Jesus. This is a sharp, sharp parable. It's poignant. It's penetrating. It's deep. Help us to get it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.